A couple of weeks becomes a month, and a month becomes a year, and a year becomes a couple of years, and then a decade, and all of a sudden you're like, how long has it been since I graduated from high school? I had that thought a little while ago because I had the opportunity to get together with some of my friends that I went to high school with, and it's been 30 years since I graduated from high school. I mean, I'm still having trouble coming to grips with the fact that I was 30, let alone that it's been 30 years since I graduated from high school. So I set up this meeting with friends because they're relatively close to in Southern California where I go, and they were close friends in high school, and as soon as I set up the meeting, I began to think of reasons why I didn't want to do this. I don't like awkward social situations. I don't like making small talk. I've been just fine without these people for 30 years. I'm gonna to have to make a special trip to a place I haven't been before at a time of day I wouldn't normally go. There was all these reasons that I kept coming up with with why I didn't wanna to get together with these people. And then I had a moment where I'm like, no, I wanna do this. Because these are people that I have history with. These are people that I've shared formative moments in my life with. These are people, these are people that have been important to me. And these are people who are going to take time off work and drive 90 miles to come have breakfast with me. So I must be important to them. And there's some value to that too. So I went ahead and went. And as you can guess, it was great. It was like no time had passed except, you know, we're grayer and have more wrinkles. But we caught up with each other's lives. We laughed at the same jokes. We remembered the people. And it just ended up being a wonderful, wonderful morning. It was so good for my soul. I looked around and I thought, these are my people. Being together with them rooted me. And it reminded me of who I am. It reminded me that I am loved. And I've thought a lot afterwards what would have happened if I hadn't gone? What if I had missed that? We're social beings. We found that out so much during this pandemic year. We're meant for relationships. Even introverts began to miss people, you know, after about a year or so. But relationship is just built into us because we are made in the image of God and God is in relationship, three persons, one God. And so it's just who we are that it's not good for us to be alone. And in this year when we were apart, I think we all discovered we really miss one another. So I wanna take a look at the scriptures at a portion that's gonna talk about our need to be together. And it's gonna bring up some interesting points for us. So we're gonna be reading out of Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most high place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us, unswervingly, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So many of us discovered how much we missed one another. And now we're getting back together again. And others will be joining us as vaccines continue to roll out. And what we have to do is to not forget 
how much we missed being able to get together. And let's be honest, others of us checked out. No judgment for me. I look at this past year and I think everybody did the best that they could just to make it through. It could be that you just couldn't do any more screen time. It could be that Sunday morning was a chance to get out of the house with your family. Or, or maybe you just realized that God felt distant and it was easier to put things down for a while and power through than to pursue God. Or who knows what else. In my mind, everybody just did the best they could this year. If you are one of those people, then your task is to remember what things once meant to you and let that call you back into relationship. So we're a church that needs to remember what we once had and to not forget how much we missed it. So let's unpack the text because the author of Hebrews is going to help us here. So where does the author begin? With Jesus. You knew that. The answer is always Jesus. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, comma, pause. So this is a picture of the tabernacle in the wilderness, which then becomes the temple in Jerusalem. And the idea there is the tabernacle and the temple represent God present with his people. It was visible. You could see, oh, there's God. God dwells with us. And in the desert, when the people moved, God moved with them. God was, already, was always there. And then when the temple was built, it wasn't built on the highest mountain in Jerusalem, but a very prominent one that everybody had to look up to, and they could see in their presence was God. But both the tabernacle and the temple, while they symbolized the presence with God, they also reflected the reality that there are barriers between us and God and between us and each other. If you were to come into the temple, there was a wall, and if you were a Gentile, you couldn't go any further. If you were a woman, there was another wall. You couldn't go any further than that. If you were a man, there was another wall. You couldn't go any further than that. If, there, if you were a priest, you could go a little bit further, but only so far, and there was a barrier. And if you were the high priest, there was only one day that you could go beyond the barrier. So the temple itself had all these walls, which reminded people that they were separated from each other and from God. And Hebrews is giving us this picture that in Jesus, all the walls, all the barriers have been taken down, including the one that ultimately separated God from people, from the holy of holies. And so God, through Jesus, invites us into relationship. That's what some of the language of the high priest is. Priests facilitate relationships. So because of all that, because of everything that Jesus has done in breaking down barriers and walls and opening up a relationship possibility with God, verse 22 says, come to worship. In other words, we need to respond to what God has done. Let us draw near to God, come to worship with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That verb having is primarily a reference to what Jesus has done for us. It's uh, since we have been baptized, since our hearts have been cleaned, that would be another way to look at it. It's not that every time you come to worship God, you have to be baptized or that your heart has to be sprinkled and cleansed. I mean, do we need to examine our hearts on a regular basis? Absolutely. But this is about how we get to God. And that's been taken care of once and for all through Jesus. It doesn't have to be done continually. 
But the fact that it's been done once for all and it's good enough for everybody also means that if you've departed, if you've checked out, if you've wandered away, you're welcomed back. And think about the story of the prodigal son. He's known and loved and welcomed back even before he has a chance to say, I'm sorry. If you don't know this great story, you'll find it in Luke chapter 15 and it's worth a read. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. What's the function of this verse? Is it a reminder of the hope that we have? Yeah. Is it to help us to remember that we're tempted to turn away for one reason or another? Yeah. Is it to raise up the core principle that God is faithful and trustworthy? Yeah. But that's not the main purpose, the function of the verse here. I don't think anyway. I think the main purpose is to toss the ball back into our court. It's to say, this is what God has done for you and God will be faithful, will you? God has done all this for us in Jesus. We can trust God and now it's your chance to respond. It's your chance to come to worship. Now, at this point, I can take the easy sermon route and this can just be moralizing. You people need to do better. You know, knock off the, the other stuff and get back to church. But that's not helpful. I don't appreciate it when people talk to me like that, and you probably don't either. And I don't really think that's what God is saying here because God's really not like that either. So let's figure out what it does mean when it says, what will you respond? How will you come back? First of all, the gospel is good news. One of my favorite prayers in the Old Testament belongs to King David, and he prays, restore to me the joy of your salvation. The contemporary English version translates it as, make me as happy as you did when you first saved me. What we need to do is we need to remember what it was like when our life was first changed by Jesus. We need to recall when things were fresh and amazing, when it was water to our soul and not just one more thing to do. That's the context of the verse. God has done amazing things for us. God hasn't changed. What Jesus has done is still good news. It's still life-changing and transformational as you remember it. So what's your response gonna be to what God has done? Maybe as a first time, but in this context, more so as someone who is already part of the family. Verse 24, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So verse 24, what at least one of the aspects of what worship looks like is, don't give up meeting together. Now, when the author is going to list all, what worship should look like, aren't there all kinds of things he could have said, like, don't forget to read your Bible, or get up in the morning and have your prayer time. It's a great way to start the day. Or develop your devotional life, or help other people. But none of those things are what the author says. What the author says is, don't forget to keep meeting together. Interesting. Because meeting together is so critically important. All of those other things rest on getting together. Why? Because we need to be encouraged. We need to be reminded about what's important. 
We need somebody cheering us on to finish what we've started, whether it's completing a degree or sticking with caregiving for the long haul or dragging your weary self out for another early morning run, hypothetically. We need somebody in our corner going, you can do this, or you should do this, or even you're better than the choice that you're making. If I walk with you, will you do it differently? We all need that. Hebrews says, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Encourage one another. And as Jesus followers, that can only happen if we gather with the church. At our best, we hold up and remind each other of the truth of God's word. You matter. You are loved just the way you are. You have worth. You have purpose in life. At our best, we're stretched in our thinking to consider God's purposes and not just our own preferences. At our best, we challenge each other to be our best. At our best, we're a place of forgiveness and grace and respite from a culture of revenge and polarization and a demand to produce something today no matter what you did yesterday. Don't give up meeting together. It's so important, but sometimes, we take our ball and we go home too easily. Sometimes we let other things like dreams of D1 sports scholarships take precedence. Sometimes we forget what nurtures our soul over the long run and just do what's momentarily pleasant. Sometimes we don't put effort into relationships that bring us life and we do put effort into relationships that aren't necessarily healthy. Sometimes we insist on the importance of secondary issues and allow those to divide us. Sometimes we want to be served rather than to serve, and so we look for the easier path. Don't give up. Don't give up on meeting together. The word don't give up on meeting together is used in another really important place. When Jesus hangs on the cross and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? That's the word. Why have you forsaken? Why have you given up on meeting with me. I think that has some pretty profound implications for us then. There's something that is similar to the abandonment that Jesus feels on the cross when we abandon one another and getting together with each other. When we stop getting together, there's this sense of abandonment that happens because we need you. You matter. I don't think we take seriously enough that when we come to gather with the church, whether it's in a small group or in a worship situation, that maybe the most important thing is not what we're going to get. The most important thing might be what we're going to give. You'd be surprised how many times people come up to me and go, hey, is so-and-so here today? You're important. You may never know how much the greeting that you give to people, the, the way your posture in worship, the attitude that you present, the way that you reach out to somebody, the visitor that you may say hello to, that one hello might be what pushes them over the hurdle to come and actually be a part of us. You might not know that. We may not take seriously enough that maybe you aren't here because you like something about this place, that won't necessarily last. Sooner or later, we'll do something irritating. But maybe you're here because Jesus put you here for a specific reason. When you check out, 
when you don't show up, and I'm not talking about missing a Sunday, I'm just talking about leaving for a long period of time or forever, it's like you've abandoned your calling. And maybe you're sitting there going, me? I mean, I can see so-and-so is important, but me? Yeah, you. You'd be surprised how much you matter. You'd be surprised how much we miss you when you're not engaged. I love the picture of the body of Christ because it shows us that everyone has a function. Everyone has a calling. Everyone has something that only they can do. Not everything is flashy, but have you ever lost a fingernail and then hit your finger? Fingernails are really important things. Maybe you're a fingernail in our body. Who knows? But you're important. You have a function. And we miss it when you're not around. And the church, it's not just Sunday mornings. The church gathers in so many ways. For worship, in small groups, for service, for outreach, in mentoring relationships. Don't abandon those things. One of the chief ways, I think, that we can keep from abandoning our calling is to pursue relationships that will push us towards Jesus. I love what one commentator said, the first step away from community is the first step away from faith. Partly because we have the tendency to stay at the level of our friends. And every parent knows this. Every parent knows that their kid will become like the people they hang out with. And some of us have toxic friends, and the influence that they have on us is not good. We need to gather with the church. Yes, I know. You feel close to God in the trees and on the water and when you see the mountains. I get it. But the first step away from community is the first step away from faith. I rarely see someone whose life goes off the rails who is in deep relationship with another Jesus follower. I see it all the time with people who have isolated themselves from the community of Jesus. Verse 25, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What does that mean? What day and what is it approaching? I don't really know. It could be any number of things, but it brings up the fact that there is something immediate about this. There's something critical about doing this. It's not something that can wait to tomorrow. We need to not forsake gathering together right now. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist and I'm not big into the apocalypse. I'm more in the camp of occupy until he comes. Do what you were called to do and then let the chips fall where they may. I mean, if there's a rapture, if there's an apocalypse, if the second coming of Christ comes tomorrow, if that's what this is referring to, I want to be found living faithfully as a follower of Jesus. I think that's the safe bet. There's some immediacy about this. We need to live faithfully today. We need to not forsake getting together. And I want to encourage you to live faithfully too. I've been so encouraged, so grateful this week to people that have reached out to me and shared words of encouragement. It, it changed my life and I want that for you too. Now, briefly, let's go back and take a second run at this because there's another point that I think needs to be brought out. So this passage is Hebrews' presentation of the gospel. We've got the temple. There's all of the barrier walls, barriers between us and other people, barriers between us and God, sometimes even barriers between us and ourselves with psychological breaks or what have you. 
where it shows us the picture that we are in captivity to the powers of sin and evil and death. We are subject to addictions and oppressions and all different things. And Hebrews says Jesus breaks the power of all of those things. In Christ there is no Jew nor Greek, no slave, no free, nor male, nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. That's Galatians. Christ has broken down every wall that divides us. That's Ephesians. And then Hebrews reminds us that Christ has opened up the barrier between us and God and we have access. And that's not even good enough. It's not just access. It's that God has invited us. God expects us. God desires to be your friend and be in relationship with you. And that is such good news. You are not the sum total of your mistakes. You're gifted, you have value. Jesus came to set you free from oppression and addiction. God wants to be your friend. If all of that is true, and it is such good news, why don't people come to church? Why in every poll and study is church attendance in steep decline. I just read a survey the other day that said in the last 10 years, people, Americans that associate themselves with some religion has declined from 61% to 47%. That the, that the largest religious group in the United States is the nuns, not Catholic sisters, N-O-N-E-S. People have no religious faith whatsoever. Why is that? Why in every poll is church attendance among committed Christians in free fall? Well, people's hearts are hard. It's a sign of the end times. I've heard that. And those are just excuses. That's too easy. Let's blame God and let's blame them. It's boring. Okay, I've been bored in church a lot of times. Uninteresting sermons. Okay, cut me some slack. There's a lot of boxes I have to tick every week. The time isn't right. The weekends are short. On and on. All of those things may be true. But that's not what I think the reason is, and that's not what the polling suggests. What the polling suggests and what I truly believe is that most people think that the church is irrelevant or that the church is focused on all of the wrong things. And we hear that, and it's an opportunity for us to get all self-righteous and say, well, we are taking a stand for morality, and we should expect persecution when we offend people like that. But again, that's not what the polling suggests. And if that's our attitude, and I don't see it around here, I see it in other places, it, it makes my heart hurt. Because if people are truly lost and hopeless and destined for an eternity separated from God, our response should be compassion and love, not cavalier dismissal. What the polling suggests is that people know what we believe. It's not the beliefs that they object to, it's the application, it's the attitude. Again, we aren't perfect, and we aren't going to get it right every time, but I think we do a pretty good job with our attitude. And now I think we're getting closer to the questions that we have to ask ourselves about our attitude, about our presentation, about our emphases. If the gospel is good news, is that what we're presenting to people who are far from God? It gets back to purpose. What do we really think the church exists for? It gets back to the life-saving station from last week. It gets back to what our primary identity is. And in my humble opinion, too many churches are focused on things that nobody outside of their doors cares about. I don't think we're like that. I think we have something really special here. 
And I think we're going to have to fight to keep it that way. We're affecting people's lives. You'll be hearing stories over the next couple of weeks about how your generous giving to missions over this last year changed people's lives, even during and especially during a pandemic year. We've told stories all year long about how people in our community have been impacted by the ministries of this church. We know that people are looking to community and that if we create the type of community that's relevant to people's needs, that helps them to see the good news of the gospel, that is an entry point that people will be drawn to. In fact, even in the three weeks that we have been together, people have been coming who recognized the impact that we have had in the community and decided they need to be a part of something and they want to be a part of us. But we can't rest on our laurels. We have to make sure that we're doing the right things. We have to continue to be the type of people to develop the type of community that presents the gospel as good news that people are drawn to. I love what one of the commentators said about right here, right now at this point. He said, we now have the task of rebuilding our embodied fellowship, our, our, our coming together, after more than a year spent at a distance. When it comes time for us to return, let us not just fill our old seats and go through the motions, but rather minister to, care for, and pray for one another. And let's make sure, this is me talking again, that we don't turn the good news of the gospel into something that people don't find relevant and don't find attractive. So three questions. Number one, are the relationships you are building encouraging you in your relationship with Jesus or pulling you away from him? Number two, what prevents you from gathering with the church? And number three, in what ways are you encouraging others in the church?